You know, this summer hasn't been as bad as last summer, don't you? I have my sunglasses on. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah, that's embarrassing. See, wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's what Proverbs says, right? Thank you, Chris. That's funny. All right, let's start over, okay? <laughs> oh, that's fun. I don't even remember what I... Oh, this summer hasn't been as, la- as bad as last summer. You know that, don't you? We've got like 10 less days over 100 so far this summer than we did last summer. So you made it through last summer. We're going to make it through this one. All right. I'll let the chatter finish. <laughs> Damon's not buying... Hopper's not buying it, right? Yeah. More record-breaking, but more over 100 last year, so. (laughs) Hopper's not buying it. All right, let's get to the sermon, okay? Okay. We are in a series we started a couple of weeks ago called Happiness, and Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was recorded um, that we have of Jesus's with this topic about happiness, knowing that this is something that we want, you know, in America, that's the pursuit of happiness. That's why we're here, it seems. Is, is, and, and Jesus said, this is how to be happy, though. The American dream is very different from the dream that Christ wants to give us that is actually attainable and sustainable, not just on this earth, but something that will lead us into the next life. And so Jesus started it by teaching us eight things that we can do. More than that, not just things, eight attitudes that we could have. Remember in Sunday school, they called it the Beatitudes. It means you be this attitude. And Jesus said, if you have this attitude, if you be this attitude, you will have happiness in your life. I don't know about you, but I want happiness. And when we don't do these things, we end up depressed. We end up feeling down and discouraged and frustrated and worse than that we don't like ourselves and you need to like yourself because you have to live with you you have to listen to you every day all day long you've got to hear what you have to say you got to look in the mirror at least we hope you look in the mirror because we want you to look good for us so knowing that you have to like yourself You need to like yourself, and if you don't, you're going to be miserable. But when you implement these things, these attitudes into your life, it opens up doors of happiness, and Jesus said, this is what you do, and you'll be happy. So uh, verse 5 is where we are today. Jesus said, happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What in the world did he mean by that? Happy are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. And what Jesus is talking about here is us not being people that push our way to get ahead. People that aren't climbing over and clamoring over other people to get ahead. He's talking about meekness making you happy. Trying to get to the top, scrambling to get to the top. As though life is all we're going to get here as though, as though this is the only life we're going to get. Jesus is calling you to start remembering that there is life beyond this life. This isn't all you get. Amen. And some of you have been held 
dealt a really bad hand of, of, of life, haven't you? And it's hurt, and it's been difficult, but you've got to remember, this isn't all you get. There is another life, and that's what you're shooting for. And meekness is you believing in that other life, and, it, and it, it, it's something that begins to permeate from inside of you to be able to walk through this life in a way that is happy, actually. And you'll get to inherit the earth. What does that mean? We'll talk about that a little bit. The word meek has lost its meaning, though, in our culture. And at the same time, the word that Jesus used here, being translated into our language, doesn't translate easily into our language with just one word, meek. And, and so we've kind of lost an understanding of what Jesus was actually talking about here. In fact, if you say, Tim, you're such a meek guy, Tim's probably going to go, no, I'm not. You know, it can be an offensive kind of thing, especially for a guy. You can feel insulted. And, and it's not something that you're going to put on your resume. I'm very meek. <laughs> I don't think we want this guy to be in sales. What do you think of when I say be meek? Okay. Yeah. All right. You guys are great. Let's just go to lunch, man. You got it down. Maybe, though, there's somebody here that thinks of the Teletubbies. They just come wandering. And some people, they accept Jesus into their life and they think that he wants them to become like a Teletubby. And we're supposed to go walking out of church. Can you imagine what people on 377 would think if we all come walking out of church? La, 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 la. <laughs> and we go into the restaurants and we're just... La, la. <laughs> That's not meekness. That's stupid is what that is. <laughs> meekness is not... You've heard it. Weakness. It's not weakness. In fact, it's what Joe said a few minutes ago. It's strength under control. Strength under control. So this word used for meek in our old language literally referred to something like a wild horse being tamed. Interesting. Strength under control. It's kind of like when you're driving through Walmart parking lot and you're going down the aisle and you've got your big truck or even a car, just any car. You've got horsepower. And there is somebody walking in front of you that could care, couldn't care less than they do already that you're trying to get down the aisle. And they're just walking along. And you're sitting there going, would you please move? You have the ability to run them over. <laughs> you have horse power. You have strength. But you choose not to. Hopefully. And you wait for them. Now, you have a choice in those moments. Am I going to sit there and go, ah, ah, and 
blow the horn, whatever you need to do to try to get them out of the way? Or are you going to be meek and say, okay, I have strength under control. I'm not going to run over them. I'm going to sit here and patiently just watch them walk. And you know it's going to happen the same way. It's going to end the same way either way, don't you? It's going to end the same way either way. But one, you walk away happy. And you feel good about yourself. You like the fact that you didn't go nuts because somebody was walking slow down the aisle. You like yourself in those moments. So there's a whole, there's a whole different perspective that Jesus is talking about here when he says, happy are the meek. You know, in our lives, another example would be like a millionaire standing at the door, welcoming people into church, not demanding their way, not pushing their weight in the church because they give money or anything like that. Not that it would work in this church. <laughs> but they would be standing at the door, welcoming people and encouraging people. That's meekness when they have such seeming power in this world, right? A CEO who knows the name of the help is an example of meekness. But you don't have to have wealth or power to be able to have weakness, at least wealth or power at that level. Parents can be meek. A father sitting and listening to his child tells story after story after story after story with every detail of the story that doesn't even make sense just so that the father can say, son, what you say matters to me and I love you and you're valued in my eyes. That's a meek father. It's a mother sitting in the, in the stands at a football game on a Friday night and she's melting in the stands because just because her, her daughter plays in the, in the marching band, that's meekness. It's a, it's a guy that can quote 80% of the Bible and not beat the people over the head with it. That's meekness, not weaponizing the Bible towards somebody just because you can quote it. But to love the people and encourage them with the scripture when it's possible. That's meekness, isn't it? It's the person who can crush the people around them. It's the daughter-in-law sitting at Thanksgiving dinner going, I know about all the skeletons in the closet and I can absolutely wreck this family right now. And she chooses not to meekness it's the boss the new boss that comes in and finds the skeletons in the workplace and instead of destroying the people's lives that have been working there creating and decorating those skeletons for years he begins to clean out the closet in a way that is loving and caring and and taking care of his people as possible that's meekness he has power but it's under control and he's taking care of business in a meek way Meekness is strength under control. And let me give you a picture of what it looks like in our everyday lives with these things. Uh, number one, when someone serves you, be understanding, not demanding. When someone is serving you, be understanding, not demanding. Philippians chapter 2. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and in, the, and in, the, in what they are doing. And I love this. Your attitude, he's talking about our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying they know that Jesus went around looking for what's going on in other people's lives. He wasn't just concerned about his own affairs, his own business. Jesus listened to what other people were doing and everything that was going on in their lives. 
How do you treat people that serve you? At the restaurant, how do you treat people that, that serve you? How do you treat secretaries? How do you treat clerks? How do you treat tellers at the bank? How do you treat fast food operators? Are you understanding or demanding? Meekness is a quality that allows you, that you have to choose, that allows you to treat these people with respect and love. Have you ever been out to eat with somebody that was demanding? It's embarrassing. Quit pointing at your husband. No, I'm kidding. Nobody did. Nobody did. I'm just teasing. Every time you go out to eat with them, they get to know the manager really well. Don't you just hate that? And then they don't even tip hardly. We need to be the church that is known as great tippers. Okay. <laughs> Some of you are down for that. Yes, we are. We are. We are known for that. I was at the post office one day. There was only one postal worker. You know what that looks like. And there was a long line. And this lady in front of me finally stepped up. It was her time at the counter. And she's standing there. And she starts talking with the, the uh, postal worker. And, and she's, she's saying, hey, this postage is too much. I brought the same size box last week, same weight, same everything. And I don't understand. Why is there a difference in price? And she wouldn't let go. She just kept, no, I want the same price. And the postal worker just kept asking her. She just kept saying, hey, okay, this is the cost. Do you want me to ship the box or not? I don't understand. Why is it? And it got heated. Oh, it got heated really bad for like five minutes. And you can imagine the line was growing until finally the lady decided to cough up the 18 cents. Yeah. And she stormed out. Then it was my turn, and I felt like Seinfeld walking up to the soup Nazis line. <laughs> Please help me. No shipping for you. We've learned somewhat as a culture that the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And so we just are a bunch of squeaky people. We're not. You guys, I'm talking to the choir today. But there might be somebody here that would be willing to give up their, their strength and their happiness for 18 cents. Is it worth that? And here's the question. Or here's the statement. Their weakness does not have to take away your meekness. Their weakness doesn't have to steal your, your meekness. You can hold on to your meekness even if everybody else around you is messing up. If everybody else is going after that 18 cents, you can hold on to your happiness and you can be meek and say, you know what, I'm out of that race. I don't need it. I was having breakfast with a guy that uh, he was buying. That's always nice, isn't it? And the server was, was a new server and he was messing up, I mean, left and right. It was really funny. It made me appreciate the ones that always do it. And, you know, we just kind of laugh it off. It, it's a new guy, and he's young. Well, my friend was paying that day, and he had an unfortunate situation. His credit card was denied for insufficient funds right there in front of me and everybody. And the, and the waiter, he didn't play it off. He said, I'm sorry, sir, but you have insufficient funds. <laughs> And my friend is this bald, 400-pound, 
big guy, and he just, and I, I thought, oh God, what is he going to do? And he turned, and in meekness, truly, he just took a moment, and he said, thank you so much for letting me know that. I do want to share with you, I know you're kind of new at this, and he began to just give him some instruction on how to deal with it when somebody has insufficient funds in their account. And that, that weighed heavier to me than anything. If he had a million dollars in his bank, this was way more important than that. Meekness goes a long way in our lives. So first, when someone's serving you, be understanding, not demanding. Second, when somebody disappoints you, be gentle, not judgmental. Romans chapter 14 Accept him who is weak in the faith without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now look what he's saying here. He's saying there are going to be some things in your faith, in our church, that some people think this way about and some people think this way about. That God wasn't clear on it. And if God is clear on something, we need to be in agreement with that. But if he wasn't clear on it, there are going to be, there are going to be different, different opinions on the situation. And, and so why would we grab onto something and say, no, this is exactly what God's word says, when someone else could say something completely opposite and say, this is what God's word says just as well. If God isn't 100% clear on it, let it go. Be meek and trust that people are living by their conscience, as Paul talked about. You see, happiness comes when you accept people who have not attained your level of perfection. That's when happiness comes. They don't have to reach your standards. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 says, if a person is trapped in some sin, boy, that's a bad situation. That means there's some kind of an addiction. They're struggling with a situation. And I know most of us have been there, if not all of us. He says, if someone is trapped in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself. Be careful because you might fall. You also may be tempted. Carry. Look at this. Carry each other's burdens. And this is so interesting because what's the context here? The context is that the burden is that he's trapped in sin. If your brother or sister is struggling with some kind of sin, instead of lording over them and instead of making yourself look good and calling them on it, your responsibility is to carry that burden with them. You start praying with them about that situation. How do you react when someone else messes up? God forbid we get happy about it. Meekness is when people disappoint you and you're gentle and not judgmental. The one thing that angered Jesus the most, you go and you read through the Gospels, the one thing that angered Jesus the most was when, his, the, when, when the self-righteous religious people walked around with their noses in the air, judging the people around them instead of loving them. Well, they took a hard stand on the Sabbath. Okay, well, they could take a hard stand on the Sabbath. But they couldn't love anybody. To the point that they nailed Jesus to the cross after bludgeoning him to death. That's righteous, isn't it? All right, number three. When someone disagrees with you, be secure, not immature. Be secure, not immature. 
when someone disagrees with you. You see, the test of maturity is how do you handle controlling people in your life? Or the disagreeable people in your life. Or do you have someone in your life that just loves to argue? Doesn't matter what you say, they're going to say the opposite just to try to look smart. Some of you are just laughing like you've got names in your mind right now. How do you handle those people in your lives? There are three alternatives. One, you can retreat in fear. Second, you can attack in anger. Or you can respond in love. Obviously, the one that we want to get to is the last one there, right? So being secure and not immature is the goal here, and it's meekness. Meekness is not compromising your convictions or retreating in fear just because somebody disagrees with you or has an opposing view. Sometimes you just need to back off and wait for them to be willing to learn if you know that you're right about a situation. And, and through the years, though, I've seen meekness so misunderstood in marriages as well. And I've, I've seen it between with men and women who are so what they thought was meekness in their marriage, but it actually was destroying the marriage. Here's a scenario in, in, this, in this one. You know, we'll say that the husband always gets to do what he wants to do, go where he wants to go with whom he wants to go with and all of what he wants to do. She says, OK, I'm going to do what he wants to do, go where he wants to go, when he wants to go and with whom he wants to go with. And she just sits back and meekly just waits for the moment that he's going to wake up and go, wow, what a wonderful woman I've got. But that never happens. Eventually, her feelings, dreams, goals, her time and life, her mentality, everything has been sacrificed and anger grows and it eventually will destroy the relationship. You see, that's not meekness. It's weakness. Yes, you have to communicate what you like and what you don't like. That makes for a good relationship. God taught us that. That's why we have the Ten Commandments. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. Will you live with me? Will you live for me? Will you let me live in your life? And we've got to do that with each other. That's meekness, is communicating the things in your life that you like. People do this all the time, compromising, though. And, and, and listen, when you do that, you're just as much a part of the destruction of that relationship as the person that seems to get what they want all the time. You've got to engage and be a part of that relationship. And, and this goes for work, too. If you're not getting what you need for this job from this job and doing what needs to and, and they're not doing a, their part in the relationship with you, you're you're promoting you're, or you're you're participating in that relationship in a in a way that's destructive. You've got to communicate what you need. You've got to communicate where you're going and what your goals are. Listen, don't participate in someone else's financial schemes that are wrong, immorality or deviant business just because you're trying to be meek. You've got to stand up for what is right, and you've got to communicate what your needs are in that job situation. True meekness, true meekness is not operating in anger, not reacting in anger. If someone disagrees with you, if you disagree with someone else, and you want to blow them away, be careful. And so many people use verbal overkill. And they explode people. We've got to be careful with that. Listen, you might think that you're meek. Yeah, I'm a meek person. 
But then you come to a test. Has your meekness ever been tested? I remember a night that I failed fairly miserably. There's only been one time in all the years with my four kids <clears throat> that Angela and I had to step in and say, okay, we've got to rescue this child. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, James David worked for a local food organization. I won't tell you the name of it from the pulpit. He worked in the drive through outside in the summer heat and at this point in time, it was August. And he'd been telling us that they weren't giving breaks. He'd be out there in this kind of heat for hours and hours with no break. 16 years old. Not healthy. Not a good situation. And finally, one night, he texted us because he had been communicating with them. I need a break. You know, we made sure that he was communicating along the way. Tonight, I need a break. I need to make sure that I get a break. Can you make sure that that happens? So he texted us and said, man, it's been, I think it was like five hours at that point that he'd been out there with no break, and it was over 100 degrees, easy. And uh, Angela and I, we were just like, okay, no more. We're going to get our son. This is ridiculous. So we got in the van. Well, I we just bought a, new, a brand new van at the time, brand new. And if you know me, I like to keep things looking like they're brand new. So... We're on our way. We're traveling down 423 to towards him, and we're just like, what are we going to say? You know, what are we going to do? And we're just going to go in there. We're going to get our son. We're going to let him know we're not happy with how this was, and we're going to leave. All right, so all of this is going through our mind when all of a sudden a Domino's Pizza Hut driver comes out of a parking lot and goes right in front of me. I slam on the brakes, slide sideways. She clips the back end of our van as I go past, and I'm like, what? What? What happened? And I come to a stop, and she goes, <laughs> she takes off. I'm like, no way. So I take off after. I'm honking the horn. I'm like, you get, get over, pull over. So finally she pulls off, and it's this lady in her 20s, young lady. And, and I get out, and honestly, I'm like in this frenzy. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You just about killed yourself back there. I was kind of freaking out. I was not meek. And I know that it scared the girl. And after about 20 seconds, I finally got myself to a place where I was like, okay, okay, are you okay? Are you all right? But I walked away from that night feeling horrible about my instant just, ah! I was not meek. And that was a test. And since then, I've been playing that situation over and over in my head. What's going to happen the next time I get tested with this? And it's a choice. It didn't make me happy. I felt bad about who I was. Anybody ever been there? I wish I had handled it differently. And my wife, she was so kind. She was like, it really wasn't that bad, John. But I know what was going on in my head. <laughs> and here's the question. When God broadsides you, when God pulls out in front of you, and he says, no, you're not going this direction, are you going to be meek with him? Am I going to be meek with him? 
Am I going to let him get away with pulling out in front of me and stopping me from my dreams and my hopes and what I want in this life? If I can't be meek with a 20-whatever-year-old girl that pulls out in front of me, what makes me think I can be meek with God? If you can't be meek with your spouse, what makes you think you can be meek with God when he comes and says, "Uh uh-uh, it's not the good direction. It's time to slow, it's time to stop, it's time to turn around. We'll just bulldoze our way right through God's plan and God's will. God says, no, I have a good future for you. If you will be meek, you will inherit the earth. Incidentally, if you get hit by a pizza, hut, a pizza driver, <laughs> most likely they don't have insurance to cover while they work. So, yeah, they're uninsured. So just a side note. <laughs> All right. So before disagreeing with somebody, ask yourself this. Will this make a difference? I, so I want to introduce something to you. This is what I call, should I argue with grandma test? So if you, if you go to grandma's house and grandma is 100 years old, grandma can pretty much say anything she wants to say and you're like, it's okay. She's going to be dead soon. <laughs> you know you're thinking it. You know you're thinking it. Yeah, you liars. (laughs) She can tell you your wife is ugly. She can tell you that you're a loser. She can tell you anything she wants, and you're like, it's all right. Should I say it again? No. (laughs) The point is, it's useless to confront. I mean, think about how much drama you would cause in the family by correcting Grandma don't talk about my wife that way. You know, I mean, she's 100 years old. She's, um, it's useless to confront somebody like that. And, and, it's, and listen, it's not worth dealing with most of the stuff that you're frustrated with in your life. You'll be much happier if you just use the uh, argue with grandma test. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. And most arguments, I mean, the arguments that we have in church, we don't have it here. Thank the Lord. You guys are wonderful, honestly. But the arguments that other churches are dealing with, stuff like, should we have Santa Claus? Should we allow the Easter Bunny to show up? Come on, these things aren't worth fighting over. People who fight over the style of music. I'm just thankful we have people that are committed to doing music. Just grateful. And I never understood the dress thing. Maybe, ladies, you can help me out with this, but it seems to me that it would be a lot more conservative to wear pants to church. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Men that made up these rules probably just wanted to see their legs. I don't know. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. I don't understand it. You're fine to wear whatever you want to wear, but I don't get why that was a big deal. There was a church um, in another city. I won't give any specifics, but they were planning to build this giant cross. And I'm not talking about a thin cross, you know, a thin cross that, you know, can barely be seen, but it was 
was an enormous cross, like 200 feet high or whatever. And it was just massive around and thick. And the, 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 the neighbors were like, please don't build that here. They were worried about the, you know, the value of their homes and stuff. I mean, not everybody goes to church. The neighbors were just like, we don't want to walk out and see. The and the church pushed it through and pushed it through and pushed it through. And finally, they got their giant cross. But what about the neighbors that walk out? And instead of looking at the cross for hope, they just go, God, please help us find ways to reach our community and embrace our community as opposed to pushing them away. Meekness is not in your face. Meekness is we're here to love you. We argue about God's stuff, stuff that I was talking about earlier, things that God wasn't 100% clear on. If you've got convictions, you hold to your convictions. Be strong with those for you. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh word stirs it up. James 3, wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder, but wisdom from above is pure, peaceful, gentle, and friendly. Meekness. Meekness and gentleness mean strength under control. A gentle giant. Meekness is being able to walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. Jesus says that a person who is meek is happy. They're happy. If you have to fight someone to teach them, you're not teaching them anything. This goes for parenting. Parents... If you're fighting with your two-year-old like another two-year-old, <laughs> you're not going to win. You've already lost them in their teenage years. Your strength means that you're in control. And we fight when our children aren't teachable. But if we'll become meek and simply impose discipline... Let them see the instructions through the eyes of discipline and what happens when they mess up. And you remain calm, sturdy, and confident in your demeanor. Eventually, they'll be teachable and they'll come back to you for guidance. Your meekness allows for that. Secure, not immature. Number four, real quickly. When someone corrects you, be teachable, not unreachable. James chapter 1, verse 19. Let everyone be quick to listen Slow to speak, slow in the use of his tongue, and slow to lose his temper. Quick to listen. Be teachable. Let somebody teach you. Meekness allows for that. Humility. When your spouse gives constructive criticism, listen to them. Listen to them. Listen to what they're saying. Consider them. Consider the suggestion. And Meek people don't have all the answers. That means you're willing to listen. Be very wary of the people that have all the answers. They probably aren't operating in meekness. Proverbs says this, someone's thoughts may be as deep as the ocean, but if you are smart, you'll discover them. What is he saying? The person that you need to listen to has thoughts that are as deep as the ocean, but you've got to do what it takes to get to those thoughts. You've got to discover them. 
People of wisdom just don't throw their wisdom out there. If you're in a, in a room and something out of your life has come out and everybody starts saying, well, if I were in your shoes, I would do this. And someone else says, well, I would do that. And if I were, do, if I were dealing with that situation or if I had this or that, I would do this. And everybody's got all their stuff. When that happens, you need to look around for E.F. Hutton sitting somewhere in the room. The guy that's not saying anything or the lady that's not saying anything. Somebody that is just waiting for you to come over and discover the depth of what they know. Wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs 13, 18. Whoever listens to correction is honored. I love this. A wise man said this. I'd rather change my mind and succeed than have my own way and fail. A meek person is not a weak person. A meek person is understanding, not demanding, gentle, not judgmental, secure, not immature, teachable, not unreachable. Number five, real quickly. When somebody hurts you, take action. Don't give a reaction. Take action. Take the initiative. Romans chapter 12. Do not repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Fact of life is you're going to be hurt. What are you going to do when you get hurt? Somebody's going to broadside you. Somebody's going to pull out in front of you. God is going to pull out in front of you. What are you going to do when you get hurt in life? Booker T. Washington, the great black scientist, said he, he faced prejudice all his life. He said this, I will never allow another man to control or ruin my life by making me hate them. I will never allow another man to take control or ruin my life by making me hate him. Proverbs 16.32, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. He's saying, it is, you're a much stronger person if you're able to take control of yourself than the person that is able to go and take an entire city. Basically, what Jesus was saying is this, happy are the people who can take control of themselves. If you go into Sunday school today in any church across America and ask the kids, who should be in control of your life? What are they going to say? God. And what does God say? You. The fruit of the Spirit. Love. self-control. The closer you get to God, the more in control of your life you become. James David, would you come? If you're a meek person, and I love this, if you're meek, you're no longer a victim. If you're still a victim from what happened to you when you were a kid, you're not meek. This is a quality that you can learn. It's a quality you can embrace. If you're still dealing with unforgiveness in your life, you've yet to learn meekness. And when you become meek, there's deep happiness. Happiness. Jesus is saying that happiness belongs to the people who have learned to control themselves, learned to say no, to the wrong things and yes to the right thing. 
you say, well, that leaves me out. I can't control myself, my reactions. I can't get them under control. And I can tell you that God will help you. Look at what the scripture says, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. God says, when I put my spirit in you, you'll be able to control yourself. But you've got to grow it and you've got to develop it. That's meekness, power controlled by love. The goal isn't to stop doing things by just, oh, I'm not going to sin anymore. The goal is to start loving. When you start loving, sin dissipates. The things that destroy your relationships and your lives, those things just dissipate because you're living by love. And Jesus is the primary example of this. We're talking about a lifestyle that Jesus lived and walked in, a lifestyle of meekness. And the scripture says that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he went to the garden, and the scripture talks about there being 72,000 angels in the air at that moment. 72,000 angels in the air while Jesus was praying in the garden. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? What were they doing? And don't you know that those angels followed him all the way to the cross the next morning? And all he had to do was say, you know what? I'm done. Do you want to talk about strength under control? You look at the cross. All he had to do was say the word. He loves you. He loves you. Some of you are stressed out. You're stressed out because of your relationships. You're stressed out because of things that happened to you in your past. You don't see people in your life doing what you want them to do. You don't they don't believe what you want them to believe, it's time to let it go. Embrace the quality of meekness and say, I'm not God. My job is to love the people around me and care for the people around me. Would you bow your heads? Who is it in your life that you need to change? time for you to change. Say, God, I want, I want to embrace this quality of meekness in my life. I don't need everybody around me to be perfect or even right. My job is to love them, care for them, encourage them, and be the person with wisdom when they need it person that has dug deep into your word to learn what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is lovely, and all of that so that I can share it with others. Help me to be a person of meekness. God, I want to pass the tests that come my way. 
threatened. Help me to love your people, your way, and to live the life that you've given me, to live with purpose and meaning, and to pass that on to others. And Father, I know that right now, through these decisions, marriages are instantly going to be restored. Relationships with children, their children, are going to be restored, maybe even with their parents. Thank you. Thank you, God, for restoration. And thank you for healing. God, as forgiveness is beginning to come into each of these lives that are struggling with that, embracing meekness, to let it go, trusting you with justice, trusting you with that person. Thank you, God, for the hope that you give us. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that you're establishing a relationship with God maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time just thank him for his forgiveness and say God I want to get to know who you are what you like and what you don't like and I want to accommodate for you living inside of me for the rest of my life I want you to feel welcome inside of me. And when I mess up, God, I'm going to trust that you're still with me and I'm going to do what I can to make it right. To live for you. To live in honor of you, in fear of you, in love with you. I choose that today. Now help me to get to know you. Commit my life to you today. In Jesus' name. Right where you are, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that, God, I want you in my life. Would you just look up at me until my eyes catch yours? All right.